Last week we kicked off a series called Throwback. Um, I'll not, I'm not going to rehash that. You can go back and watch it from last week. But um, basically we were in Genesis chapter 26. We talked about um, what, what happens when we reopen the ancient wells. Yes, that's a phrase we don't use a lot, reopening the ancient wells. Um, but we talked about why it's called throwback. What are, we, what are we going back to? We're not trying to live in the past. We're just trying to go back to the source in the past, right? So, like, they went back and reopened the wells that the father had dug, and then the enemy had filled with dirt, and they went back and reopened those wells. So we're talking about what happens when we reopen the ancient wells, and what we learned last week is that when they reopened the ancient wells, it led to a fight with some more enemies, which led to another well and another fight and another well, and eventually they, they opened a third well, and he named it wide open spaces and there were no more there was no more fighting so what we took away last week was when we are faithful and willing to go back and reopen the ancient wells it doesn't make life perfect yet it opens us up to fresh water more fights fresh water more fights and eventually fresh water and freedom that's kind of where we're heading and so the ancient wells we said we're from acts chapter 2 Verses 40, verse 42, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read this. I'm going to read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. That's the verse that's on the screen because that's the verse where we find the four wells that we're focused on for the next four weeks, okay? I'm not saying these are the only ancient wells. Yes, there's, I'm sure, other wells, but these are what, the, what we're focusing on for the next four weeks. Um, and I'm going to continue reading verses 43 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, well, one. To fellowship, that's well, two. To the breaking of bread, well, three. And to prayer, that's well, four. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they did. And in verses 43 through 47 is what happened when they did what they did. Listen to these words. Everyone, how many? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All, how many? The believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were transferring from other churches. Oh, that's, oh, I'm sorry. Did I read that wrong? He added to their number daily those who were being saved. God, right now we pray. I think last week I said it was from Hosea, but it's actually from Habakkuk where the prophet said, we've heard of your ways. Renew them in our time. And I don't want to just study what you did in the old days. I want to see you do them again today. We need, Lord, a revival in our time of the fresh water that came from these wells. We need a revival in our time of people who are devoted to the word, to fellowship, to communion, to prayer. We need that today, God. And so we make ourselves available right now for you to open up the wells in our lives. Do some digging in our soul, even if it hurts we trust you. 
to reopen these ancient wells in us. And then we ask, God, that you would do what we just read about in those last few verses, that this would be a place where people are filled with awe, worshipful reverence at who you are and what you do, that you would add daily to our church's number those who are being saved, not just those who are bored at the church they attend, but that they would be drawn to you. People who are lost would be saved and hunger to be in fellowship in this place. In your name, Jesus, amen. High five the person next to you while you sit back down. Or low five if you're a rebel. <laughs> um, what are we devoted to? I told you last week to be thinking about that. Yes, you don't have to answer this out loud. This is just a you thing. But what are, you, what are we devoted to? I, I think that word devoted is so interesting. It's also used in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus turned to his disciples and said, because of the growing crowd, he turned to them and said, hey, make sure you got a boat ready. Because of the growing masses. He said, make sure you have a boat ready. The word ready in the Greek is the same word for devoted in our passage. What are you making yourself ready for? Right? Yeah. Was it two or three weeks ago that the Powerball was like $150 billion or whatever it was? I don't know who won it. I know they, lived, they bought it in Illinois, I think. By the way, it's Illinois. The S is silent. Just to give you a little lesson. I live in Illinois. <laughs> but if they, if they weren't prepared to receive that, that win is going to destroy them. Yes? Jesus said that we need to make ourselves ready. Prepare that boat. Get it set up and ready for me to step on the boat so I can teach the masses. Right? Some of us, um, I am admittedly not a planner. I don't like details. I'm at least smart enough to surround myself with people who do like details and who do like to plan. Yes? And that's, that will set your marriage free, just that little snippet right there, right? Because some of y'all are like, let's just get in the car and drive. And your spouse is like, you are freaking me out. Where are we going? I don't know. We'll just let the Lord lead. <laughs> your spouse is like, well, the Lord's not driving the car, right? So, like, it's good to have people in our lives. It's good to plan. It's good to be ready, so when he said they devoted themselves, they didn't just devote themselves in the heart. Oh, yeah, God, I just love you. Mm, me and you, Lord, me and you. Just love, love to worship, love Maverick City. Yes. They didn't just feel this. This was an actual way of life. They made plans. Oh, I, I don't even know how far I can go with this because we're just like in the, in the intro to the intro, right? They devoted themselves. They planned. They actually would be the people who would, Oh, God, I hate to say this out loud, but, like, check the church calendar before they made their plans. Not because they were devoted to legalism, right? Not because they were devoted to a cult, but because they were devoted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread. That matters. It has a place in my life. Not it got pushed out because I was so full of other stuff. Okay? Okay? Oh, God, that was a hard intro. I just felt it. 
They devote, so the question is, what are you devoted to? Listen, this is a headline from CNN in mid-2016. Does that feel like it was three decades ago? So in the middle of 2016, this headline was on CNN. I quote, Americans devote more than 10 hours a day to screen time and growing. They used the word devote. 10 hours a day to screen time. They didn't say that they ha- we happen to see screens 10 hours a day. They used the word Americans devote. Like we're setting aside more than 10 hours a day to do this. Scroll, watch, binge, comment, fight. 10 hours. Anybody want to um, take a guess that it's grown since then? Yeah. Right? That was before we were locked in our homes. And we were like, I love my family, but I'm just going to go to my room and just scroll. Right? We, listen, we become what we behold. You will become what you look at. This is a weird, weird reference in the Bible, but Genesis chapter 30, just, just jot this down. In Genesis chapter 30, Jacob is told that he can have all of the, all, he can have all of the flocks that are speckled. Right, and so I, I don't understand this. Um, I'm sure that there's theologians that can explain it way better than I can, or at least agriculturalists. But Jacob took these um, branches that were striped, and he would put the um, parents. If you got kids in the room, just cover their ears right now. I'm kidding. He would put the stripe. This is in the Bible. He would put the striped branches in front of them while they mated. That's weird. And whenever they would mate in front of the striped branches, the babies that came from the mating were speckled. What? I read stories like that in the Bible and go, like, who doesn't want to read the Bible? It's got a lot of really crazy stuff in there. But my takeaway from that story is this. You reproduce what you look at. So Americans devote 10 hour, more than 10 hours a day to screen time, and we've all seen that was in mid-2016. That was before the election. That was before we entered crazy town, right? And if all we've done is devote ourselves to arguments and divisiveness and anger on the screens for half a day, Every day, we've become what we looked at. America has become what we look at. What are you devoted to? What do you give your time to? What do you give your vision to? What do you give your ears to? What are we devoted to? And everything we talk about, they were devoted to four things. Are we devoted to those same things? Right? It could be argued from that one study that here's what we're becoming. We're becoming a soundbite culture. We're becoming a shallow thinking culture. And we're becoming a culture that is led more than is driven. And when I say culture, I'm saying church, right? Because it starts here and then we impact there. 
the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what the early church was devoted to. We're going to, I hope, do a lot of self-reflection about whether or not we are devoted to the same things. Now, our culture looks different today than it did in Acts. Would you agree? Man, y'all, there are no-brainer answers in sermons. That was the one, right? This is your chance. Poke the person next to you. Sermon, like, get involved part, right? I'm going to ask you that question again, and you know the answer. Our culture looks different today than it did in Acts, yes? There you go. There you go. But here's the thing. Our needs are the same. So if you're a note-taker, just jot these needs down. Here's the four needs that those four wells address. The Word addresses our need for stability. Fellowship addresses our need for community. The breaking of bread, the table, that common table, addresses our need for intimacy. And prayer addresses our need for security. The needs that we have today are the same needs that they had then. I mean, God's pretty brilliant, yes? It's almost like, let's all go crazy, it's almost like he made us. Right? Like he formed us. He knows us, and so he knows we have these needs, and he, he came up with a plan for those needs to be met. So we're talking about these four wells. We're not trying, again, I don't want to necessarily go back to village living. I mean, I like that I can get in my car and drive places, yes? I don't know that I want to go back to, like, we're riding donkeys, I haven't, don't even have time to tell you the story about how I rode a demon-possessed horse one time, but that's all, another day. And they are from the bad place. So at least that one was, no doubt about it. I think he spoke with a voice that told me. But I don't want to go back to those days. I like where we live. I like that we have technology. I love all that stuff, but I still want to see these four needs met. And they can be, they can be met through these four wells. We all have the need for stability, community, intimacy, and security. So today we want to highlight the first one. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And for us, what that means is correct doctrine. And even more simply than that, because I said the word doctrine, and some of y'all were like, (sighs) doctrine is living a life devoted to the word. Okay? Um, Screen time. Podcasts are fantastic. I have one. Yes. Um, we have gazillions of podcasts. Do you know that we would have a lot less doctrinal struggles if everybody said collectively, I'm just going to read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me through it. Instead, we look at a passage and the first thing we think is, I wonder what fill in the blank of your favorite teacher, thinks about that passage. I'm not saying we shouldn't have teachers. I'm one of them. But the Holy Spirit teaches us about the Word, right? What would happen if we simply unplugged from everything else and just read the Bible and trusted the Holy Spirit to help us understand His Word? Pure doctrine doesn't mean you have to go to seminary I've been to seminary. I made it through. I got the masters to prove it. I can still have false doctrine, y'all. Right? So you're not like, well, I, I, would, I would believe in doctrine if I went to seminary. No, no. Doctrine is simply thinking correctly about the Word of God. 
And this is where it all begins. This is the foundation that everything else is built on. And I can hear some of you going, no, 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 no. I know enough about doctrine to know that Jesus is the foundation. He is. That's right. So here's some verses. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14. By the way, I meant to tell you, <clears throat> I was going to have you stand up for every, all the word, but there's like 18. So just write them down. Jot down the verses, okay? We're going to read a ton of them. John 1.14, the word became flesh. Now, who are we talking about? Jesus. He is the foundation of all things because he is the word. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.17, still talking about Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <clears throat> this is oversimplistic. Love me anyway. If Jesus holds all things together, and Jesus is the word made flesh, then when people come to me for counsel, and they say, my life is falling apart, and I say, I'm so sorry. How, how, what's God showing you in the Word? Oh, I hadn't picked up the Bible in years. Oh, that's why your life's falling apart. Because in Him, all things hold together. Right? He is the Word made flesh. Jesus. So we, we, can't, we can't, I love Jesus. I don't really like the Bible. You can't divide those things. That, that would literally be like you coming to me after this is over and saying, Paul, I love you. I love everything about you, Paul, except that you wear Hawaiian shirts and you preach long and you're married to Wendy and I'm not sure about your kids. I really don't like the fact you drive a Hyundai. I mean, if you told me you love me and then start naming all the things that make me me that you don't like, you don't love me. We, we can't say, I, lo I love Jesus. Not really into the Bible. We can't make that division because he is the word. If we love Jesus, we will love the word. So here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to learn two things. What is the Bible and what do we do with the Bible? Are you ready? Tons of Scripture. Here we go. They're all going to be up on the screen. So what is the Bible? The Bible is alive. If you're taking notes, just write it alive. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's one reason why when we don't feel like we're in a good place with the Lord, we tend to push the Bible to the side. Because it, it cuts us, it judges us, it's active. The Word of God is true. The Bible is true. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. The Bible is eternal. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible is Sorry, the Bible is authoritative. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture, how much? 
even Leviticus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the Bible is alive, it's true, it's eternal, it's authoritative. The Bible is light, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The Bible is assurance, 1 John 5, 13. John said, I write these things to you. What did John write? It's a no-brainer. Y'all are like, I'm so scared to answer, right? He wrote 1 John. The thing we're reading, this is in the fifth chapter of 1 John, which has five chapters. So he wrote them a letter, and at the end of that letter, he told them why he wrote the letter, Right? And he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I know, I know we're Pentecostal. I know we love Holy Spirit. I know we love moments at the altar. I know all that stuff, and I love it too. But if you want to know the will of God, Read the Word of God. If you want to have assurance that you're His child, read His Word. Like, that's what we just read. I mean, I I can't. That's just like work. I don't like to read. I know. Isn't it amazing to live in a day when you can listen to it as well? But, like, in the car, I'd rather listen to R&B or hip-hop or something just to kind of get my mind and. Right? Maybe that's the problem. Like, we just want to put our minds in neutral. And the enemy loves a mind in neutral. Right? Like, maybe we should be more proactive. I'm going to fill my mind with the Word of God. It's written so that you may know that you have eternal life if you struggle with knowing whether you're saved. The Bible was written for that reason. And it's very practical. And that's not one of the ones, but it's very practical. Like what I love about 1 John is, have you read 1 John? If you're looking for a book to read, that's a good one to start with, right? Five chapters, you can do it in a day, and it'll kick you in the face, right? I mean, like, 1 John, he's, he doesn't mess around. He's like, um, yeah, raise your hand if you love Jesus, right? So you can just hear everybody going, yeah, that's me, okay? Raise your hand if the person next to you that just raised their hand doesn't love you. What? I thought God was love. <laughs> it's in there. It's like you can't claim to love God and not love your brother. It's a hard-hitting book. And at the end of that, at the end of that challenging book, he said, I wrote this so that you can know that you have eternal life. Not to shame you, not to make you feel like a second-rate Christian, not to get you to do more stuff, just so that you can know that you are his child. Two more. It's, the Bible is foundational. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and these words were Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. So at the end of that sermon, he's wrapping it all up, and he says these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and nods their head and amens really loud. Right? He doesn't say that. 
who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's why Jesus is the Word made flesh. That's why the Bible is foundational, y'all. We don't want to just hear it, but we put it into practice. It's foundational in our lives. This is what we build our lives on. And it's, it's a weapon. Ephesians 6, 17. Paul writes, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're going to come back to that verse in just a little bit. So those are, those are what the Bible is. Did you get all that? There's a lot of them. Now let's talk about what, what do we do with the Bible. So, great. The, the Bible's all those things. What do I do with it? James 1.21. We receive it. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. The Bible is so subtle, isn't it? Get rid of all moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We receive God's word. We allow it, when we receive it, we allow it to dwell in us. Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I feel like I could preach on every one of these verses, but have you noticed that we always divide on our preferences, right? Like, and it's not, it's not a bad thing to have preferences. Some of us in the room, we are word people, aren't we? Like, just, like, preach the word, pastor. And some of us are, are worship people, yes? Pastor, if you could just sing the message right? I could just get into it so much better. Well, you haven't heard me sing, so don't say that, right? But like we lean one way or the other, and I love verses like this where they're both in the same verse. Hey, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. So there's teaching that has to happen, and it should, what I'm saying today, you should dwell in you richly, not because I said it, but because we're reading God's word, right? Let it dwell richly, and while that's happening, Sing spontaneous songs to one another. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. It's like Elf, right? I love you, I love you, right? But can't you just see the Colossians hearing this for the first time? And they're like, wait, so... You want us to think about the Word and let it dwell in our hearts. Check. Got that. I've chiseled out my notes from the sermon. I'm ready to take those home. And you want me to do what? Sing what? <laughs> There's no divide, y'all. We're all called to both and. Let that be a word that challenges all of us because it does challenge all of us. So we receive it. We allow it to dwell in us, and then we store it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's all kinds of verses in the New Testament about storing the word of God in our hearts. Jesus said a lot of times, what you store in you is what comes out. We don't have time to go into this, but that's why when you're having a really, really, really bad day, anybody ever had those? You have a really bad day, and somebody says something that hurts you, Butterflies don't come out your mouth, right? Because what's stored inside of you comes out. 
So if we're stored up with rage and hurt and anger and all that and somebody hits us, that's what's going to come out. I just want you to know it's also possible to be so full of the presence of God that if somebody cuts you, that comes out. I just started um, re-reading the cross and the switchblade. It's so old, it's new. It's, just, it's the story of David Wilkerson, you know, going to New York. And but the story, it's kind of the origin story to Teen Challenge. And his famous line with um, Nikki Cruz is Nikki Cruz was a leader in the gang. And Nikki Cruz said, I will, cu- I will kill you, Pastor, if you keep preaching. And David Wilkerson said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces, and every one of those pieces would say, I love you. That's being stored up with the love of God, yes? Because some of us would be like, you ain't cutting me, boy. Cut me, I'll cut you back in Jesus' name, right? It is possible to be so full of the presence of God that that's what comes out when people hurt us. So we receive the word. We allow it to dwell in us. We store it. Um, And in James 1.22, we do it. We do it. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we just move on from that one. You can't just listen. The way we deceive ourselves is by just listening. Because we'll just listen and go, I got that. Right? It's like, how do you know you have calculus? They give you a test, right? And I remember sitting in calculus as a senior in high school, just listening to this lady who was brilliant. And when she wrote, her arm wiggled. That's all I remember. (laughs) She was brilliant. She knew her calculus, y'all. And I listened, and I listened, and I listened. And I remember thinking, I've got this, I've got this. I deceived myself right into failing the test. Because I didn't know how to practice what she was teaching. Don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do it, right? Practice it. So we, we don't just receive it and let it just dwell in us, but we do it. And then we read Ephesians 6, 17, but we're going to go back to that for just a second. Um, we're going to speak the word. Speak the word. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And if you're like me, you read that and go, it doesn't say anything about speaking the word of God. you got to do a little bit of digging in the Greek, okay? So check this out. I should have had Wendy come preach this part. She loves this. She's the first person that ever showed me this. That the, in Ephesians 16, 6, 17, the word is rhema, right? So the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, that word is rhema. So usually the word for word is logos. Like when it says, and the logos became flesh. Jesus is the word. Um, logos is like written. Rhema specifically is the word spoken. And the word for sword in that, in that is, is a, a small, it's like literally it's a small sword. It's a dagger, and it's the kind of weapon that you would use for hand-to-hand combat. So what Paul's saying is when you're, when you're fighting with the enemy, you need to have some verses memorized. You need to have some small daggers up in your arsenal that you can pull out and stick him with. I, I, I believe this. Let me see if, if I can say it just right. Too many of us 
Hang posters of verses and drink from coffee mugs with verses on them as if the enemy is far away from us. And then we don't know what to do when the enemy appears close to us. Why is the enemy attacking me? Does he not see that poster I hung up on my wall? I mean, I'm drinking from this coffee mug that says I can do all things through Christ. Who starts me? Why is he attacking me? How did, how did he get so close? How did he get through the hedge of protection? Right? Because you've just been lobbing verses. And he doesn't do long-range fighting. He comes in close. Anybody in the room ever struggled with your thought life? That's close, right? And when he gets close, drinking from the coffee mug with the verse, not going to help. Having that verse stored up in your spirit and pulling it out like a dagger and attacking him back with it, that will help. And the way you do that is you speak it. You speak the word. It's a rhema word. We speak it. Two more things. We cherish it. That was the only word I could think of to describe what we read in Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then... You will be prosperous and successful. Keep it always on your lips. Meditate on it. He's saying, look, cherish the word. And then the last thing, and I'm sure there's probably hundreds of things we can do with the word, but the last one for today is to teach it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments, that's the word. These commandments that I give you today are to be in your, on your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. It sounds like a lot of talking about the Word, doesn't it? Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It always makes me think about, I don't know how many of you were with us when we came in this place and we wrote scriptures on all the walls. And I just remember sitting in here, and we, I don't know if you know this, we read the Word of God out loud from cover to cover in this place before we ever moved in. We just wanted this place to be saturated with the Word of God. I just fill this place, Lord, with your Word, with your truth. That's what they're describing in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Like, when you get up, talk about the Word. When you, I know we don't walk to school. When you get in your car, talk about the Word. When you're hanging out in the DMV line, talk about the Word. Oh, Lord, make this line move fast according to that word, right? He's like, everywhere you go, tie them as symbols in your hands. Bind them. Do you know, like, the Pharisees wore things on their foreheads? I can't remember what they're called. Paradactyls? That, whatever they just said, that. Hope you, I hope you said it loud enough for it to hear, be on the audio. They wore them on their foreheads, and they had the word in it. They, that's how far they took this. They literally bound the word to their foreheads. They just didn't live it. Well, they, they did live it. Come on, man, come on back up. Here's what they didn't do. They didn't love it. I want to close this morning with a, um, a verse and a story and an apology. That's fun. Right? John 13, 17, Jesus said, 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago that um, I told my kids this all the time growing up. The point of the Bible is to learn it and to live it. Learn the Bible and live the Bible. This week, God really convicted me about something. That I think sometimes we, we do the current version of the box on our forehead. We get people to memorize Scripture. It makes us feel good about ourselves because we know some verses. And then we might even try to practice them. But we don't love it. We don't love the Word. So I'm not sure that the point of the Bible is to learn it and to live it. I think the point of the Bible is to love it and then learn it and then live it. There was a girl who was 16 or 17 years old in Asia in the 1970s. This is her story. The communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. And as the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible, his prized possession, and with a, with a sneer on his face, the guard threw the Word of God on the floor at his feet. He glared at the small congregation. We'll let you go, he growled. But first, you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. A soldier pointed his gun at one of the men. You first. The man slowly got up and knelt, by, knelt down by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it, praying, Father, please forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door, and the soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Okay, you, the soldier said, nudging a, wo a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier demanded. She spit only a little, but it was enough. She too was allowed to leave. Quietly, a young girl came forward. Overcome with love for her Lord, she knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. The communist soldier put his pistol to her head, and he pulled the trigger. That is the ancient well that God is calling us back to. Not people who just memorize Scripture and can quote it in anger to other believers who also know Scripture on social media. He's calling us back to the ancient well of loving the Word of God because the Word of God is Jesus. You cannot separate the two. He is the Word made flesh, and if we love Jesus, we must love the Word. And so I'm going to call you this morning to love the Word of God like that.
to the point that spitting on the Bible would be the same as spitting in the face of Jesus. And that though it cost us our life, and listen, I love you enough to tell you that there could be a day when that doesn't happen in a third world country. It happens here. And I want to be able to tell the Father that we lived in love with your word to the point that we all died because we would not do to the word what they wanted us to do. This is not about making an idol out of the Bible. This is about do we love the word of God so much so that we will read it, love it, and then go do it. I will never forget hearing my pastor talking to another woman and telling her the Bible says, and she looked at him and she said, I don't care what the Bible says. And I knew her. She, was a, she loved Jesus. That can't be the response of someone who loves Jesus. So here's the apology. I got kids in Charlotte. I got kids in New York. I got kids everywhere but my house. So to my kids, if they're watching, if I've ever told you to learn the Bible and live it without calling you to love it, forgive me. Church, if I've ever called you to learn the Bible and to live it without loving it first, forgive me. Because anything without love is just legalism. That's all it is. But I'm telling you, when this place is marked by a passionate love for the Word of God, people will call us legalistic. Because we'll be people who say, but what does the Word say? Right? What does my Savior say to us through the written Word? I, there's got to be a verse. Let's quote a verse about that, right? That'll become who we are. We will be marked by the Word. And those are the people He's looking for, y'all. But it's all motivated by love. Love of the Word of God. Love that would wipe off the spit that other believers put on the Word and ask God to forgive them for how they treated His Word. Can we respond to this? Am I the only one that needs to ask God to forgive me? for trying to see the Bible as something scientific and knowledge in the head without a heart attached to it? Can we humbly accept the Word of God and just ask Him to forgive us? And would you, church, would you right now commit yourself to being devoted to the Word of God? Not just knowing the facts about it, but also knowing what to do with it. So would you just close your eyes? Would you just take a moment right now and respond to the Lord? However you need to respond. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. You're welcome in this place. What I love about you, Father, is that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, I pray that you would lead us right now Man, some of us need to repent for not loving your word deeply in devotion like we read about in Acts chapter 2. I, 
I know some of us are in the room, but God, we already love your word like that. And I'm just praying that hearing your word read today would just be like gas on that fire. Ignite, God, in us a revival of your word. That's what we need in a place where there's a famine of morality is a revival of your word. And so I pray, God, this morning that you would start it in us, Lord, that you would, you would find in us people of the word that love reading who you are in the words that you use to describe yourself. I just want to share with you uh, what the Lord's been doing with me in the last week. Uh, I've really been struggling with what does the word intimacy mean. We talk a lot about it. Uh, for 30 years, Debbie and I have been chasing hard after the Lord, and that's what does that mean? And yesterday, he just kind of showed me that it means to be known, to be wanted, and to be loved. And what I realized 30 years ago when I walked into that church in Atlanta, an alcoholic, uh, addicted to pornography and other things, lost, not understanding what to do, that I felt love and it came through the word. And it wasn't the first word I heard in that church. It was the word that was preached to me when I was 14 and I heard Jesus and had a mountaintop experience that God so loved the world. And so, saints of God, the Word of God is what cements the fact that you're known, that you're wanted, and that you're loved. And so I just encourage you to, to, to seek out all of these scriptures, read them, meditate on them, speak about them, think about them, let the Word of God dwell in you because then you will know your Savior, and you will know the rhema will come forth bubbling out, that spring that a well of living water that Jesus said any that believe in me and receive me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That's what that is. This lost and dying world needs to know that they're wanted, that they're known, and that they're loved. There's a, there's a divine emptiness in every every person. God has set eternity in the hearts of every man and it will only be filled with that fresh living water. So I'm a living testimony at 74 of what the Word of God has done and now I can grow even more knowing that I'm wanted, that I'm known, that I've loved and I don't have to doubt that. And I can face whatever comes next because I know his word says in Psalm 16, verse 5, he holds my destiny and his timing in his hands. And so I can just trust that I'm either here or I'm with him. It doesn't matter. So I encourage you to, to, to respond, to open your heart. For the word of heaven, the word of God is 
forever settled in heaven. He's exalted his word above his name. And it's only through his word that you can re you will know who Jesus is. God was so wise, he gave us his word to say, this is my son. It begins with a Hebrew word, a letter. I can't remember which one it is, but it's whatever. And at the end, amen. And if when you look at those two words in Hebrew, it says, son. So his Bible is the revelation of the son. So to me, I just repent for not helping people more learn to love the word because it reveals the person whose heart that word reveals. All right, let's, let's stand together. Here's how we're going to end. I was asked um, recently to be a part of reading a reading plan on version by a friend, and I said yes. And I, I opened it up on the first day, and you ever, who's done read, version reading plans? I mean, usually it's like devotion, scripture. What do you think about it, right? And open up, and there's no devotion. Just, it's just a verse. And I was like, at first I was like, huh? And I was like, I love this. No devotion. No person telling me what they think about that scripture. I'm just going to read it. It's been amazing. Amazing. So here's how we're going to end. We're singing, we sang this song earlier. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I just want to close with you taking your hand and putting it on your heart. Because this is where we want the Holy Spirit to be welcome. Yes? You're welcome here. When I read the Bible, I'm not reading it with a lens for other people. God, you're welcome. Your word is welcome here. And I just want us to pray this over ourselves as a benediction. Okay? And then I'll, I'll pray us out of here. We'll go eat some food. But first, y'all, would you invite the Holy Spirit? into your heart. And in the word, the word heart in the Bible is everything that makes you you, right? Your thoughts, your decisions, everything. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Yeah. Sing that again, Holy Spirit. So, God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the truth that you have given to us in written form, God, that we can read and listen to. And I pray that as, as we do that, God, as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, 
that your truth would be deep in us. You have access to the deepest parts of our hearts, that active and living word. We pray that as we study, as we read, as we hear it, God, it would cut us and fill us full of who you are. So full, God, that when things happen to us, your word is what would spill out of us. So I ask God for you to nourish your body this week in your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen.